Chapter Thirteen of the Heavenly Twins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Heavenly Twins by Sarah G. Chapter Thirteen. The Frailings had decided to postpone all further activities till the bride and bridegroom's return, so that the wedding guests had gone and the house looked as drearily commonplace as any other in the street when the hansom pulled up a little short of the door for major cahoon to alight the servant who answered his ring made no pretence of concealing his astonishment when he saw who it was but major cahoon's manner effectively checked any expression of it he was not the kind of man whom a servant would ever have dared to express any sympathy with however obviously things had gone wrong but there was nothing in major cahoon's appearance at that moment to show anything had gone wrong except his return when he should have been off on his wedding journey there was probably a certain amount of assumption in his apparent indifference he had always cultivated an inscrutable bearing as being the thing in his set so that it was easy for him to now appear to be cooler and more collected than he was his attitude however was largely due to want of proper healthy feeling for he was a vice-worn man, with small capacity for any great emotion. He walked into the hall and hung up his hat. "'Is Mr. Frayling alone?' he said. "'Yes, sir, with Mrs. Frayling and the family upstairs in the drawing-room,' the man stammered. "'Ask him to see me down here, please. Say a gentleman.' He stepped to a mirror as he spoke and carefully twisted the ends of his blonde moustache. "'Very good, sir,' said the servant. Major Cahoon walked into the library in the same deliberate way, and turned up the gas. Mr. Frayling came hurrying down, fat and fussy, puffing a little, but cheerfully rubicund upon the success of the day's proceedings, and apprehending nothing untoward. When he saw his son-in-law, he opened his eyes, stopped short, turned pale, and gasped. "'Is Avadne here?' Major Cahoon asked quietly here no what should she be doing here what has happened mr frayling exclaimed aghast that is just what i don't rightly know myself if she's not here major cahoon replied the quiet demeanour he had assumed contrasting favourably with his father-in-law's fuss and fume why have you left her what are you doing here explain mr frayling demanded almost angrily major cahoon related the little he knew and Mr. Frayling plumped down into a chair to listen, and bounced up again when all was said to speak. "'Let me send for her mother,' he began, showing at once where, in an emergency, he felt his strength lay. "'No, though I'd better go myself and prepare her,' he added on second thought. "'We mustn't make a fuss, with all the servants about to. They would talk.' And then he fussed off himself, with agitation evident in every step. Something like a smile disturbed Major Cahoon's calm countenance for a moment, and then he stood, twisting the ends of his fair moustache slowly with his left hand, and gazing into the fire which shone reflected in his steely blue eyes, making them glitter like pale sapphires coldly while he waited. Mr. Frayling returned with his wife almost immediately. The latter had had her handkerchief in her hand all day, but she put it in her pocket now. Major Cahoon had to repeat his story. "'Did you look for her in the waiting-rooms?' Mrs. Frayling asked. "'No.' 
she may be there waiting for you at this very moment it was a practical suggestion but the porter said he saw her get into a hansom major coon objected he said he saw a young lady in grey get into a hansom i understood you to say mrs frayling corrected him a young lady in grey is not necessarily a vadney there may be a dozen young ladies in grey in such a crowd there might yes mr frayling agreed and the proof that it was not Evadne is that she is not here, her mother proceeded. If she had been seen getting into a hansom, it could only have been to come here. The hansom might break down on the way, said Major Cahoon, entertaining the idea for a moment. That is not impossible, Mr. Frayling decided. But why would she come here? Major Cahoon slowly pursued, looking hard at his parents-in-law. Had she any objection to marrying me? Was she over-persuaded into it oh no mrs frayling exclaimed emphatically how can you suppose such a thing we should never have dreamed of influencing the dear child in such a matter if there were ever a case of love at first sight it was one why her first words on awaking this morning were oh mother i am so happy that doesn't sound like being over-persuaded then what in god's name is the explanation of all of this major cahoon exclaimed showing some natural emotion for the first time that is it said mr frayling energetically there must be some explanation heaven grant that the dear child has not been entrapped in some way and carried off and robbed and murdered or something dreadful mrs frayling cried giving way to strain all at once wringing her hands they then looked at each other and the period of speculation was followed by a momentary interregnum of silence which would in due course be succeeded by a desire to act, to do something, if nothing happened in the meantime. Something did happen, however. The doorbell rang violently. They looked up and listened. The hall door was opened. Footsteps approached, paused outside the library, and then the butler entered, and handed Mr. Frayling a telegram on a silver salver. "'Is there any answer, sir?' he asked. Mr. Frayling opened it with trembling hand and read it. "'No.' No answer, he said. The butler looked at them all as if they interested him, and withdrew. Well, cried Mrs. Frayling, is it from her? Yes, Mr. Frayling replied. It was handed in at the general post office at— The general post office, Major Cahoon ejaculated. What on earth took her there? The handsome, you know, said Mrs. Frayling. Oh, dear, to her husband, do read it. "'Well, I'm going to, if you let me,' he answered irritably, but delaying nevertheless to mutter something irrelevant about women's tongues. Then he read, "'Don't be anxious about me. Have received information about Major C.'s character and past life which does not satisfy me at all, and am going now to make further inquiries. Will write.' "'Information about my character and past life!' exclaimed Major Cahoon. "'Why?' What is wrong with my character? What have I done? Oh, the child is mad. She must be mad, Mrs. Frayling ejaculated. Mr. Frayling fumed up and down the room, in evident perturbation. He had not a single phrase ready for such an occasion, nor the power to form one, and was consequently compelled to employ quite simple language. You had better make inquiries at the post office, he said to Major Cahoon, and try to trace her. You must follow her and bring her back at once, if possible. Not I, indeed, was Major Cahoon's most unexpected rejoinder. 
I shall not give myself any trouble on her account. She may go. Oh, for heaven's sake, don't say that, George, Mrs. Freining exclaimed. You do love her, and she loves you. I know she does. Some dreadful mischief-making person has come between you. But wait, do wait, until you know more. It will all come right in the end. I am sure it will. Major Cahoon compressed his lips and looked sullenly into the fire. End of chapter 13